The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today's sermon is another sermon from our 2023 annual meeting. In this sermon, Elder Adam Green takes us to John chapter 3 and gives us a thorough explanation of why the new birth can only be accomplished through the direct work of the Holy Spirit. Once again, due to the length of this sermon, we will not have an introductory song, but I hope you'll stay with us as we listen to this sermon, which proves from the scripture that our new birth is solely in the hands of God. Go with me, if you would, over to the third chapter of John, John chapter 3. I want to look at a familiar expression that's found here, if the Lord would be with me and be with you, and please do continue to pray that he, he would be. Brother Mark said in his sermon that, and I I paraphrase somewhat, that God never commends us to do something that He didn't command us to do. We're never commended for doing something that's not our work to do. And nowhere in the Bible, uh, and if I'm wrong, show me. I don't ever find one place in the Bible where God ever commended or complimented someone for getting themselves born again. You're just not going to find it in the Scriptures. God never never commended someone for that. So go with me to John chapter 3. I'd like to look at the subject for a little while this afternoon about the new birth. And here Nicodemus has come to Jesus Christ by night. He has apparently done that because of fear of what the other Jews would think and what they would say if they knew that he was going and and talking and, and seeking counsel from Jesus Christ. And Jesus answered and said unto him, verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
So Nicodemus takes that statement and he processes it and it confuses him somewhat. And he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Christ states it as an imperative, both to be able to enter into the kingdom of God and to be able to see the kingdom of God. And he doesn't say, I think it's important for us to note, he doesn't say ye must get born again. He states it as a state of being. He says ye must be born again. Now he describes what he means as being born again there in the fifth verse. He said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, my understanding of what Christ means there is similar to what we would find over in the book of Titus. Uh, sometimes the word and can uh, throw us a little bit, but I think if we look how it's restated in Titus chapter 3, it'll, it'll flow easier for us. He says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There's an and there, the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And I think it's the same and that Christ is speaking about here when he said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Whenever an individual is born again, there are two distinct things that happen. But they both happen instantaneously and completely. One is that the Holy Spirit of God takes up an abode in the life of a child of God. They have a union with God that is vital in such a way that they can say the Lord is within them. A nature is placed inside of them that is, as Peter says, a divine nature. And they are uh, born of the Holy Ghost. But they're also born, it says here, of water. And he talks about the washing of regeneration. There's something that happens to us as well in regeneration. And that is our souls and spirit are cleansed in such a way that there is no additional altering, no additional adjustment, no additional cleansing that is required in the soul and spirit of a child of God for it to enter into heaven. When we die, our soul and spirit doesn't go to some celestial car wash to get finished up to be able to enter into heaven. The soul and spirit has been cleansed in regeneration. Now there's glorification that's got to happen to this old body and a removal of that old nature as well, but the soul and spirit's made ready to go. That's why there's a groaning within us because it's cleaned up and it's ready. So there is a washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Both of those things happen in the new birth and they happen instantaneously. 
And so Christ said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And I respect the fact, uh, brethren would interpret that, some brethren would interpret that verse 5 in a different way, and, and I've just got to give you what I'm able to see in it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So if this being born again, if this regeneration is so absolutely critical for a person to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven and for a person to be able to see the kingdom, I want to know how this new birth happens. I think that'd be an important question for anyone. If it's so absolutely critical, Brother Chris, according to the words of our Savior, we want to know then how it happens. <laughs> because if if it doesn't happen, you're not going to be able to enter into the kingdom and you're not going to be able to see the kingdom. So you must be born again. So someone might say, well, the way that an individual is born again is that they do something that is good and they do something that is pleasing to God and that then causes them to be born again. So that's one theory that we could examine and see what the scripture would say about it. Can, can an individual do something good in such a way that would cause them to be born again? Go with me if you would over into the book of Romans. And let's look at the 8th chapter there. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So he presents this uh, identification here of a scenario that a person is in that he calls being in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say that, um, that in verse 9... Unless there be any question about what he means by it, he says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. So he wants the writer to understand what he means by the statement being in Christ Jesus. Because uh, being in Christ Jesus can mean a couple of different things in Scripture. There is all of God's children are in Christ Jesus in a covenant sense. And they have been before the foundation of the world. Those of God's children who are not yet born again are in Christ Jesus in that way. But the Apostle Paul wants us to understand that for the purposes of what he's talking about here, when he says in Christ Jesus, he's talking about an individual that the Spirit of God dwells in. So an individual that has the Spirit. Now, we know from the words in Titus that it's the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We know the indwelling of the Spirit happens in the new birth. So an individual that is in the flesh, in the way that Romans 8 is talking about it, is an individual that the Spirit of God does not dwell in yet. In other words, they haven't been born again. For the purposes of Romans 8, we know that someone that is in Christ Jesus is someone that the Spirit of God 
does dwell inside, and so they've been born again. So he clarifies what's he mean, what he means here. So our question is, can an individual just do something good that causes them to be born again? Can they do something good that pleases God? Well, he answers that question for us here in verse 8. He says here, So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, he's, he's told us that what he means by in the flesh is someone that the Spirit of God doesn't dwell inside. He says, unless and until a person is born again, they can't please God. So it would be impossible for someone who can't please God to do something to be born again since they can't please God until they've been born again. You see, there's a logical fallacy there. So when we, when we take the, uh, and then going back to that statement in Titus, he says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So we take that possibility, the one that says, can we do something good that causes us to be born again? And we've got to strike that one out. <laughs> Because he says, unless and until an individual is born again, they just cannot please God. A, a person might say, well, can an individual who's not born again do things that are in accordance with God's commands? Certainly they can. Absolutely. Uh, the Apostle Paul, before he was born again, said a lot of prayers. But I'll submit to you, not one of them was pleasing to God. Because he wasn't born again. The Bible says that the sacrifice of the wicked. Now, presumably, the sacrifices that he's talking about uh, are sacrifices that were made in accordance with the with the uh, the laws there in in the in the books of the uh, the Pentateuch, the ones that were there in Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. Why? Because they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Even if they're doing something that the activity itself is something that is commanded by God, it's not pleasing to God because God sees the heart that it comes from. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You say, well, all right, so we have to take the, the ability to do something good that causes us to be born again. The Bible's not going to let us have that one. So we've got to take that and, and throw that one aside. Well, let's, let's get another option off the pile. Could we educate someone? Could we educate someone to a point of being born again? Could we give them just enough knowledge? Could we give them just enough instruction, enough awareness about heaven and hell, about, about good and evil, and about uh, the Bible or anything of that nature? Could we educate a person? Could we give them enough knowledge so that they could utilize that knowledge to get born again. Would that be an option that we could try? Well, let's see what the Bible would say uh, about that. Because that's, that's ultimately what matters, right? <laughs> we want to know what the Bible has to say about it. Brother Adam's opinion is, is not worth a whole lot. What the Bible has to say is our only rule of faith and practice. So let's take the concept of knowledge. Can we, can we educate someone into being born again? Can we teach them enough to cause them to be born again? Go with me, if you would, over into 1 Corinthians, and let's look at chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. 
But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save or except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, now watch what he's saying here very closely. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now, let's read verse 14. But the natural man, now what is a natural man? That's how we are by nature. By nature means someone who only has human nature. They've not been made to be a partaker of the divine nature. They are unregenerate. They've not yet been born again. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. He says they don't have the ability to receive the, uh, the instruction of the Spirit in, in, a, in a way of us being able to teach it to them through the Scriptures. You can't teach someone something that can't even comprehend the things that you're saying. You know, right now, bouncing through this room, we can't see, there are a tremendous number of communication signals. There are uh, radio waves, there are cell phone waves, there are all kinds of things that are just pinging back and forth around us. But I can't hear any of them right now. Now, there was one day, you won't think I'm kidding, but I'm not. There was one day when I had braces in our front yard, I picked up a radio station and it was playing out of my mouth. I, I, am, I am absolutely not kidding. Somehow something was exactly right and I just paused and stayed in one place and had one of my siblings come over and listen and I moved a few feet and it went away and then I was never able to make it happen again. But I, I had artificially given to me something somehow that allowed me to pick up a, 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 a vibration and caused me to be able to, 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 to hear a radio station for about 15 seconds there. But I had to have something that was given to me. Now, if I had a portable radio, we could tune it into all kinds of stations and pick that up. Man by nature doesn't have a receptor. So you can't educate someone who cannot receive it. You can't educate someone who hasn't yet been given the ability to receive spiritual things. When an individual's hearing is dead because they are dead, you can't speak to them naturally in such a way to educate them into life. No man can do that. The natural man, man by nature, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. So the, the idea of educating someone to a point of being born again won't work. Because number one, you can't educate a dead man. And number two, they don't have the receiver to be able to receive and comprehend spiritual things that you don't have until a person is born again. So we're going to take that. We've got to throw that one away, Brother Chris. It won't, it won't work. We can't educate someone into being born again. But what about faith? What if we could get someone 
just to exercise a little faith. Because surely, surely everyone has a little spark of faith inside them that if we could just blow on it the right way or fan it a little bit in some way by the gospel and produce a little bit of heat, surely that little spark of faith would be enough that if they could just utilize that in some way, that would be enough to cause someone to be born again. Well, again, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. First, let's ask the question, does the Bible say that every individual has faith? Go with me, if you would, over into the writings of the Apostle Paul to the uh, church at Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And And here's the other reason he wants them to pray. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Well, Paul Why would you need to be delivered while you're going around preaching the gospel? Why would you need to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men? He gives the reason here. He says, for all men have not faith. He said, there are individuals who are not a possessor of faith. They don't have faith. So the idea that everyone by nature is in possession of a little spark of faith that we just in some way have to turn it into a flame that they can exercise collapses right here in the writings of Paul to Thessalonians because Paul said, pray for me because I'm going to have to be living and preaching in a society that has individuals in it who have not faith, who are not a possessor of faith. Well, someone may say then, well, then where does faith come from? That's a great question. And I suspect the Bible has something to say about that as well. Go with me, if you would, over into the writings of Peter, and let's look at something there. In the writings of Peter, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through their obedience. Now, is that what it says? I don't think that's what it says, is it? You're not going to see anything here about them obtaining faith by their anything. Not their being human, not there being uh, in the right place at the right time, not their act of obedience, that's, that's not going to work. In fact, the word obtained here means to receive by divine allotment. That means God gave it to them. Now, what is the basis of their obtaining faith? Is it based on anything about them and their goodness as an individual? How is it that they obtain faith? To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. The way you and I have received faith is not through anything that we've done, 
We have obtained faith to receive it by divine allotment, not through our activities, but through the righteousness of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. And faith comes to us in a particular way. Go with me, if you would, over into the book of Galatians, and let's look at what it says there. Galatians chapter 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if I said that I got apples from Brother Chris's farm, if I said I picked apples from Brother Chris's farm, what one thing do you know about Brother Chris's farm? Do you know he's got chickens? No. Do you know he's got um, strawberry plants? No. Do you know he's got cows? No. What is the one thing you know? If I say I picked apples at Brother Chris's farm, you know he's got apple trees. So what we're about to see here is something that is referred to in the scriptures as the fruit of the Spirit. So what do we know then? We know we're talking about someplace that the Spirit is, someone that the Spirit dwells within. And he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Faith, he says, is the fruit of the Spirit. you got to have the Spirit there before you can have faith there. When does the Spirit come into the life of a child of God? In regeneration. So faith is a post-regenerative effect of the Spirit of God. It's not something that causes the Spirit of God to live in someone. It is a fruit of the Spirit of God being in somewhere. And the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please Him. So there's no utilizing of faith to be able to get the Spirit because you've got to have the Spirit in order to be able to have faith. So the idea that everyone has this little bit of faith that's just theirs from being human that we could fan into a flame and, and use that to somehow be born again, the Bible says no, that won't work either. So we can't, we can't do something good to get born again. We can't educate a person into being born again. We can't have someone utilize faith in order to be born again. How is it then that a person's ever born again because it's really starting to sound like there is nothing that you or I can do to get born again. So go with me if you would back to the book of John and let's look at what it says. In the book of John, I'm going to start reading from John chapter 6 and I'll read verse 63. John 6, 63. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. Now, quicken means to make alive. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. Now, you know what nothing is? Nothing is nothing. And anything that is a little bit of something is not nothing. 
And we may say that God did the vast majority and there's just one little tiny sliver of activity left for man to do, but that little tiny sliver is not nothing. I don't have all of the details correct in my mind, but I remember whenever uh, Six Mile Creek Printed Baptist Church, where my father is pastor, received their building, the, the people who was giving the church to them uh, wanted to give it to them outright. But for purposes of, of, of doing everything to make it a legal transaction and for it to be able to be traced through an exchange, there was a purchase price, if I remember correctly, and you, you may remember what I do, and I can't remember if it was a dollar or a penny. It was one dollar, right. So they had to pay one dollar, and that one dollar was something that was able to be recorded as the purchase price that was paid, and it was able to be used to document the, the, uh, the, the uh, transfer of the property. It was, you know, and to the church, it felt like nothing. It felt like they were getting a free building, which was, for all practical purposes, what they were getting. But for all legal purposes, it was not. They got a building for $1. And in the eyes of the law, $1 was not nothing. It might have felt like nothing, but it wasn't nothing. The Bible says it is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh mankind and our nature and what we are before regeneration profiteth or adds to in that process nothing god doesn't put up a billion dollars and you put up one dollar it is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing now in closing let's run over romans chapter 9 romans chapter 9 verse 15 For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Remember, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You know what the most amazing thing to me in the passage we just read is? Is that God said, I will. There was nothing about us as individuals that adds anything to the glory of God. God is not more glorious because he saved us. He's not really glorious before and extra glorious after. Our salvation, and I had to be real careful how I say this, but our satisfaction, our salvation added nothing to the satisfaction of God. Now, it, it pleased God, but to say that God was more satisfied with our salvation than he was before would to say there was in some way that God was dissatisfied in eternity past with his own company and companionship, and that's impossible. We didn't make, our salvation doesn't make God more satisfied. It pleases him to do so, you understand. 
But it doesn't make God more anything. So why then does he ever call a single one of us by his grace? (laughs) Because he said, I will. I will have mercy. What an amazing concept that God said, I will do that. I will have mercy and I will have compassion. And so that great vital work that has to be done to us and in us, the regeneration, the new birth, being born again, that Christ said, ye must be born again. God said, I will do it because I will have mercy and I will have compassion. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.